emergency? Was the president right to declare a national emergency on our southern border? And how does the politics play out on the left and the right? Welcome to the Fury Theory Podcast. The Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. Uh, I am joined by my partners in crime, John Easton, Adam Belmar. John Easton, let's go first to you. There's a real process involved with this declaration of national emergency. I read up on it. I know you've read up on it. What can you tell us about this process? It is a real process indeed. Uh, What the president is doing is he is gaining access to other funds because he lost in his in his battle with Congress to get well he wanted almost six billion dollars as everybody knows he got 1.3 it's a it's a loss in general but it's a political loss and this is a guy who does not like to lose and so he's going to his different avenue I think though the real action is what comes next it's in the courts and it's in Congress um, in Congress the house is going to introduce a bill on Friday tomorrow uh, that it's a resolution of disapproval uh, which has real teeth, and and it will once that is passed the House, the Senate has 18 days to act on it and put it to the floor for a, for a vote, and then in the courts you have uh, differing uh, lawsuits, uh, one challenging the constitutionality of of this national declaration, but also um, some some landowners I think will probably sue or if they haven't already um, for injury along the border. So Adam Belmar talking about the court process, the president, as he unveiled this national emergency, kind of undermined his own credibility on it, right? He did. Uh, The president came out in what has been largely described as a uh, meandering and from-the-hip press conference. It was supposedly a statement. Um, And he declared this uh, emergency, and then he went right on to say, I didn't have to do this. (laughs) (laughs) It's just faster. So we're going to do it this way. And I don't know that that, uh, from my perspective, philosophically, the president, uh, I believe, has great latitude and power uh, to act unilaterally. And so I support the president. Uh, I'm not fully uh, sure that all of his reasons and politics are fully in line, but I believe the President of the United States has the authority and the wherewithal to act in this manner, even though he said, hey, it's an emergency, but it's not really an emergency. I think that uh, if you're going to go and try and try this President in the Court of Public Opinion, John, the people who support him, and anybody who's been willing to listen objectively since the very beginning know that he believes that this is indeed an emergency. It's the raison d'etre for his presidency in the first place. To say that he's obscuring any emergent elements is just not true. He's always felt this, and I I believe the president is within his right to act this way, and that even in the legal process, people will see the broader context and not just maybe some off-the-cuff remarks that he made in the Rose Garden. So uh, thinking about this, you know, FDR declared a national emergency uh, when it came to the bank crisis. Truman declared a national emergency on a postal strike. Or, um, there was a national emergency having to do with gold hoarding. There was a, in the 1976, there have been so many national emergencies that Congress passed this National Emergency Act that gave, and it was really kind of an indictment of presidential power, it gave the, uh, the Congress a role in, in declaring national emergency invalid. And ever since that point, uh, when it comes to domestic things, there haven't that been that many national emergencies. If you look, we have several national emergencies going on, ongoing, but they have to do with Burundi, Yemen, um, uh, Ukraine. 
There's not a lot of national emergencies that have domestic imp, uh, influence. And John Easton, thinking about this and thinking about the conservatives getting really, really nervous about this president declaring a national emergency having to do with a domestic thing, which is the southern border. Um, talk about what, why conservatives are so nervous about this. I think conservatives, uh, well, not all conservatives, but uh, a lot of conservatives are very concerned that this is an executive overreach. And conservatives, just by their very principle of being a conservative, don't like that. They, they want this separation of powers. I mean, they've, they watched President Obama do plenty of it. They watched him do it on on DACA recipients. They they watched. Although, him do that, it. although that was not a that was executive overreach. It was not it was, a national emergency. No, it wasn't. But I'm just talking about in general. Right. Executive overreach. They watched him do it on uh, the ACA Obamacare as as well. And um, I don't think a lot of conservatives were that thrilled when um, when when Obama did that. Obviously, Congress challenged him and won uh, on that on particularly on the Obamacare piece. So. I think that that is, that is where it, it, it lies. But to Adam's point, I, I think that um, there are also the conservatives in his core, his base, Donald Trump's base, that uh, are going to be behind him all the way on this. And they're going to they're gonna let this one slide. The thing about Donald Trump with, with in terms of executive power, he hasn't you – know, yes, there's been plenty of deregulation uh, that have been well within his purview. But he hasn't done a lot of – I don't think he's done nearly as much as Obama in terms of executive orders, uh, you know, national emergency, et cetera. It, he's actually played within the lines pretty well. Uh, Adam Belmar, talking to you, you worked in the White House. Yeah. The amazing power of an executive like a Barack Obama or a George Bush. We have several uh, national emergencies still going on post 9-11. Uh, national emergencies going on that haven't been, and that's why how we got into Iraq to a large, large extent. Um, talk about that, and talk about what can the president do to actually improve his standing in the polls. Poll, polls show that this is not that, a very popular decision. Well, you know, I think that uh, from the political angle, this is what I would call winning for losing. He lost the legislative flex contest with Speaker Pelosi over the money, as Easton said at the beginning, but it, at its true heart, both the power of the presidency and the power of his base are going to uh, bring him way back up on support overall on this issue. It's what he came to the table with. It's what he's fighting for now. It's a predicate for his reelection. I think that this president is going to defy polling, and he's going to defy the vitriol on the left and find that this is truly an ascendant issue. And then to your other question about what the president can do is he can begin to be a little bit more broad in his communication. He's been very close to home. He's preparing for a foreign summit at the end of the month in Hanoi, Vietnam, with the uh, North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. He's got other things going on, but he has been largely... Uh, cloistered in the White House since before Christmas. He needs to get back out there. And I'm not just talking about rallies. I think he needs substantive um, policy speeches that get out there and really lay down his thinking and his rationale for what we're doing and where we're going. Uh, that is what he can do, and that's what he should be doing to help people get with him. I, I agree with that. And John Easton, t talking about the president communicating, he's not going to get a whole lot of support from his allies on the Hill, who are many of whom are very nervous about how they're going to vote, especially in the Senate, 
Senator Mitch McConnell, as part of the deal for the get the president to sign this, supported the president's national emergency declaration. He didn't want to, but I think he was kind of forced to because the last thing he wanted was another government shutdown. But talk about the Senate as they as they take this up because you have some strict constitutionalists mm. who do not want to support the president on this national emergency. Yeah, I mean, you have strict constitutionalists like, say, a Senator Mike Lee of Utah. Okay, you have that camp. But you also have others. You could say they're, they're moderates, or you could just say that they um, are protecting Congress's prerogative. And I think that is where we have a real problem here in terms of, if you just look at it from a Republican perspective, uh, I disagree that this is, this is going to end up being good for him. I mean, this is going to divide the party. It already has. If you look at already, there are about 10 Republicans that have said, I'm not supporting this action. I'm going to support a resolution of disapproval. You've got folks like uh, Susan Collins and Mike Lee, and then you have also um, Tom Tillis has said he's not going to. He's up for re-election in North Carolina. So there there are a lot of political um, high stakes uh, involved with this. You have a lot of folks that haven't said anything. And then you've got about seven or eight Republican senators who have said, I'm going to support this. Including Lindsey Graham's opinion. Including Lindsey Graham, right. And and so this is a very, very, I mean, the, the president's on thin ice in terms of his allies in Congress, to your question. Um, he isn't one to go out and really build and build and build and build a case. Look at the tax cuts. I mean, he was sort of disciplined and sort of not. And and I think it showed because it that the tax cuts have never really come up and you know in in sheer favor of of the president and the, and the party it's still kind of suffering so I think that this has the same potential to do that now if he build a case like a disciplined president would maybe things would be a little bit different but you've got a lot of Republicans in the Senate let's just take a look at the senators for for example who are going to go back to their states and talk about why this is not a good idea yeah or there are several who are going to say it is a good idea except everybody's all over the map I, I, th- I think that's an important point everybody's over, uh, all over the map I think they got to get together and I think they got I, I think Lindsey Graham's right they got to support this president because this is a winning issue for the president I'll tell you why you got Beto O'Rourke the lead contender for the Democratic nomination saying I think we should tear down these walls between Mexico and, and, and Texas and all the other places. That is not good politics for, for Beto O'Rourke, yeah. especially in the rest of the country, um, especially in the middle of the country. Uh, immigration is a net winner for this president, at least it was for the Republican nomination, and Republicans have to be very, very careful if they cross him, I think, uh, John. Well, I think that's it's good for him. It's good for the president. Oh, yeah. Okay, he's up for 2020. There are 22 Republican senators up in 2020. And it's not necessarily good for them. Maybe if they're, if they're in a very conservative state that's overwhelmingly for, for Trump, they can get away with it. The problem is, is this question that's being put to you if you're a member of Congress, you're inherently going against your own interests as a member of the legislative branch. As Susan Collins says, this totally undermines Congress. That was her statement, and I agree with her. It does. It, it does to a certain extent. Um, it does show the presidential power. Um, I will say oh, this is an exit question, uh, Adam Belmar. Is this emergency declaration going to be a net political winner or loser for President Trump? It's going to be a winner. Hey, what do you say? It'll be a loser. Uh, Adam Belmar is right. Uh, it's going to be a winner. Uh, and now we're going to go with the most important segment of our Fury Theory podcast. What are you buying or selling today, Johnny? Well, I'm going to sell the interpretation of. 
or the guessing of when Robert Mueller is going to release his report. Um, he's been about to release his report for about eight months now. And the, and the press have been saying over and over again, he's about to release the report. He's about to release the report. I think the last time, remember the election? Oh, after the election, the, uh, the Mueller's going. And now we're, we're hearing it might be next week again. So don't hold your breath. This is getting and has been tiring for a long, long time. Sick of it. Sell. Sell. What, what are you buying or selling, Adam Belmar? Like the Chinese who love in past years to buy American debt, I today am freely buying with no upward cap limit outrage. Outrage from the Democrats, whether it be outrage about sexual misconduct on the part of some or malfeasance on the part of companies like Amazon to rescind their HQ2 deal in New York, or outrage against uh, Justin Fairfax in Virginia, or outrage against those fictitious few who committed a hate crime, quote-unquote, against Jesse Smollett. I believe that you can do nothing more to hurt yourself than fake outrage and bluster when it's not called for and then be hypocritical about it. Uh, that is what the Democrats are doing. I hope they continue to do it. I'm buying it. I'm outraged. Buy. Sell. I'm buying Steve Began. Steve Began is the lead negotiator for the United States with the North Koreans, a former Hill staffer, someone who was the lead lobbyist for Ford, all around great guy, and I'm really happy to see him ascend to such great heights. Let's hope he gets a peace deal with the North Koreans and so that we can have peace on, on that peninsula and we can move on for the rest of our lives. With that, thank you for joining the Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means excellent, excellent for, for business. business.